It's Friday night, which means it's time for another episode of the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast. I'm Casey. And I'm... (laughs) (laughs) Let's keep it. Let's keep it. And I'm Ashley. Last time we talked about Angry Beavers for the first time in quite a while, and we had a blast getting back into that world. Yeah, that was really fun. And on that note, we also put out our weekly Twitter poll asking, should you wake a sleepwalker? No, they'll go bahooties, or yes, they're a danger to themselves and others. And no, they'll go bahooties one out. So we agree with the beaver's parents, apparently. You know, I think it's the word bahooties. I think it's really just hard to not (laughs) select an option with the word bahooties in it. Well, I love bahooties, and I did vote for yes, they're a danger. Well, look... Maybe you're just, maybe you're just more prepared for the bahooties than the rest of us are, Casey. <laughs> Probably, yeah. There's not a whole lot to break down in this one. It's yet another <laughs> nonsense poll, but we had fun with it, and it looks like you guys did too. Absolutely, and as as always, we're going to transition from that fun poll on over <laughs> to the very serious moments that we have going on here in Avatar: The Last Airbender. We're on episode six now, so cruising right along, and uh, yeah, this one this one's got quite a few moments in there that are a little bit more sus- serious than uh, going bahooties. Right, and even more serious than I think any other episode of Avatar we've watched so far. Maybe not the air te- the Southern Air Temple, but other than that, yeah, it's it's up there for sure. All right, guys, follow us on Twitter at FNN underscore podcast and Facebook, facebook.com slash FNN podcast and review us on Apple Podcasts so others can find the show and keep checking out our YouTube page. We've been seeing some listener growth there, which is very exciting. And with that, thanks so much for tuning in. Now let's get started. Our episode this week, as we said, is the sixth episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. It's from book one. It's called Imprisoned, and it originally aired on March 25th, 2005, just three days before my 11th birthday. Nice. (laughs) In this one, Aang, Katara, and Sokka camp near a small Earth Kingdom town where they meet a young earthbender named Taru. However, the town is occupied by the Fire Nation, and earthbending is outlawed. But Katara convinces Haru to save an old man using earthbending, only to have the same old man turn Haru in. Katara then devises a plan to save him by getting herself arrested for earthbending. Um, When she arrives at the Fire Nation prison, which is a metal fortress that's impervious to earthbending, she finds that all the prisoners have lost hope due to their inability to bend. But Katara successfully leads a rebellion with Aang and Sokka's help by giving the Earthbenders all of the coal on the fortress, and all of them are able to escape and return to their occupied towns with plans to rebel against the Fire Nation occupation, thanks to Katara's words of motivation. So uh, yeah, this one's a pretty pretty emotional episode, and it, it really lets us see that some more of the ways that the Fire Nation are really being cruel. Um, like we, we know they're evil. We've heard that from episode to episode, but this is really getting, getting into that, right? It's psychologically horrible too. 
Yeah, because the only interaction we've seen with the Fire Nation is either the cruelty they've shown to uh, Prince Zuko, and then the cruelty the Prince Zuko has in turn shown to Avatar, or the Avatar and his friends. And yeah, we see them treating just like regular old people horribly, and it didn't hit me until you read that summary, but how must it feel to have your bending which is such a huge part of who you are in this world completely taken away like there must be an identity crisis in all of that too and it makes sense that they wouldn't really have the will to do anything yeah it's honestly pretty pretty soul crushing for them and and i think the other thing too it's it's they're there specifically just because they could bend right like they're not you know, it's not like they're prisoners because they've done anything wrong. They're just they're just kind of sent here and that one thing which makes them, you know, who they are is stripped down and we, we see it. We see the hopelessness pretty much immediately when, when Katara gets in there. Um I guess we could back up yeah. a little bit to Yeah, yeah. Before they get in, which it's a pretty clever trick. There's a couple of clever moments in here. Um but uh they're they're sleeping by this old camp they're talking about how they only have nuts to eat and they're getting really hungry they see this earthbender who's immediately panics as soon as he's seen but they're they're just excited because person probably means civilization and that probably means food that is not just nuts so <laughs> yeah and as we see momo is very excited about that prospect <laughs> i feel like hunger is a common theme in Team Avatar, at least at least in the beginning. Sure but... <laughs> is. Yeah. It's like easy, cheap humor that I that we need in an episode like this. We need something to lighten things up. Absolutely. And at this point too, we don't we don't really know what's going on. We know that this this uh kid is really panicked when Katara sees him bending, but we we don't really know why. We don't really have the context right away. And and they do a good job of of sort of letting us into that and giving us that knowledge again without laying it down quite so strictly. They they do give it to you a little bit later, but they do, they sort of set it up well, right? Like, uh, they follow him back to his mom's house. They mention that they saw him bending and we can see immediately, like, his mom is upset. Then we see the Fire Nation come to their house and you, you, we kind of put the pieces together before it's immediately laid out. Yeah, it's a nice sort of trail of breadcrumbs they give us, and it, clearly nothing good is happening in this town if someone's afraid to earthbend. And I don't know, I think it's worth pointing out the pretty blatant Nazi Germany and Holocaust ties that we see in this episode, where we have these people who are targeted for no, no reason that other than who they are inherently, either by birth or by just this... this trait that they have and they're they're being rounded up and it's it's really striking to me and it's really powerful and unsettling yeah and, and i think part of that too is kind of to you know draw those connections and really make you realize you know just just how bad the fire nation is i think i think they could have just kind of made them vaguely evil this entire show and we would have right. kind of just taken their word on it but i think they do a good job of showing the ways that, you know, deeply ingrained in these people's lives, right? Like, they're they're not allowed to be who they are. They're not allowed to show who they are. They're constantly um, keeping their bending away. And and, and also kind of in, in a similar fashion, too, we see people 
turning against people of their own village, right? So right. So Haru saves this old man who's like under a bunch of rocks and he saves him. And we see the next or that night, the old man turns him in and he says like that's that's the one I saw earthbending. And that's that's pretty similar too, right? People turning each other in, people going, you know, um going against yeah. their own villagers. Because you have to I sort of understand it. I think it's horrible what the old man did, but if he were to not report it and it were if if it were found out that he witnessed earthbending, it would be him getting rounded up too. And and just the way they could use kind of mind tactics to control these people. Like they come in and the one the fire lord the fire nation guard comes in and just says, Oh, the the tariff has doubled an hour, the tax has doubled and uh, there's nothing they can do about it. They just have to pay it. And the, the control tactics they use, they're truly a despotic regime, I think, by every sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to watch. And, and even mm-hmm. before we see the prison, it's hard to watch just the, the amount of fear and, again, the, the control that they have, really, over this entire, mm-hmm. this entire town. And um, so Haru's taken away. And they come up with this clever idea using this air vent to make it look like Katara is lifting this boulder, right? Because Aang uses his air bending through the vent to sort of make it look like it's it's uh, earth bending, which is actually pretty clever. Um, yeah, it is. It's kind of like those air traps in the Southern Air Temple and all of the clever uses we've seen for bending throughout the show. Yeah, it is. And, and we do get another bit of sort of lighter humor here, too, where... We have some really just grade A quality acting, um, totally believable <laughs> by oh, Katara it's and so Zaka. Funny. <laughs> yeah, they have this obviously staged fight, but of course the Fire Nation people believe it. And Katara really gets in a bunch of sick burns about Sokka's ears. That was hilarious. She's like, he goes, "What did you call me?" And she says, "A giant eared cretin." <laughs> yeah, and, and he he says like you better cut that out and then he's like but but actually man could you like <laughs> yeah, yeah she says uh i bet elephants get together and make fun of how big your ears are just like <laughs> quality quality light-hearted humor that we need every now and then and they're both like over enunciating too it's hysterical it's just so unnatural oh but real quick before we get further down this rabbit hole there is a lovely moment before Haru, oh, Haru right. is yes. taken with him and Katara where we find out that Haru's pair uh sorry Haru that his dad was taken away and Katara is able to bond with him and shows him the her the necklace that her mother gave her before she was killed and it's a beautiful even though Haru's dad is still alive it's a mo- beautiful moment of connection for the two of them yeah it and it's kind of the first moment that uh, Katara really has some of these, like, emotional moments, connections, really. I mean, Aang's lost, like, his entire family and everything, but it's it's a little more personal, I feel like, between the two of them in this moment. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's... They do a great job, too, in this show of giving us characters and giving us reasons to feel for them and humanizing them in a really short time period, right? We're We're looking at what 20 minute episodes 20 and change minute episodes and within the first five we already have sort of the sweet spot for uh haru you know we already 
feel for his entire situation. Right. And I'm going to go all English teacher-y for a second here. And, like, I just think the light and dark imagery in this show is just stunning. The way they design the lighting of this show, even though it's obviously not set with real lights like in a studio, it's it, there's so much detail and design work that goes into it. For example, when Katara says she's going to get herself turned in, there's this awesome light from all of the edges of the screen around them, and it's, I saw it as, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't, I don't know if I am, that Katara is shining this light onto the earthbending people and empowering them just through her own, through her language, through her positivity, and through her you know, it's it. She's she's shown as pretty naive in this episode, but it isn't just naivete that gets her through all of this. She comes up with really brilliant plans, and I think she's just the total MVP of this episode. Yeah, she really is. There's definitely a couple of moments where a little part of me is like, "Come on, come on, Katara, you got to be a little bit more sort of understanding." I think of what these people have been through and how it's how it's gone for them, but. Um, she overall continues to be a really strong, really powerful character and really helps helps everyone get out of this miserable situation in the end. Right. Um, and then back to the moment we were actually discussing. Thanks for going with me on that detour. Um, when they create this fake bending, there's a hilarious moment where the, the Fire Nation guard... Uh, thinks that it's Momo doing the earthbending because he's standing under the lifted boulder with his arms up and Sokka's like, it's the girl! <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of have like to really even... spoon-feed it to him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't even, like, properly catch someone who's trying to get caught. So they are incompetent, too. Yeah, they, they really are. And, and part of that, I think, is for the comedy. Um, we have to assume that there's some sort of smarter masterminds behind the entire idea, right? Between the mm-hmm. psychological warping and everything. There's there's obviously some people that are better, but like, yeah, no, they're they're not the brightest. Um, and I mean, even them just buying this whole stupid fight is uh, <laughs> they're not the brightest. But we continue on forward. Um, and, and truthfully, it's pretty brave of Katara to go in there and get imprisoned because. Oh, yeah, she has no way... She doesn't know that she's going to get out. Yeah, and she she has no reason to really feel like she should. I mean, maybe part of that, too, is just naivete, and she's not really considering the idea of her not getting out, but very well, things could have turned in a different route, and she could have... She could have ended up, ended up stuck there, but... Right. Um, and while she's there, it's pretty heartbreaking. She gives this big speech, and... The guards come out and watch because they're concerned about an uprising and no one moves. It's like a brilliant motivating speech and no one even budges or changes posture. Uh, these poor people are just so defeated and um, it's it's sad to watch and you get a little frustrated because it's like you've got to get out of here but who can blame them? Yeah, it's... And I think at some point they're like, well, what what could they possibly do, right? They're, they're stuck in this metal... Um, ship situation they've made positively sure that there's no rocks for them they're made to just work all day in a terrible setting like what how much can you be positive in that kind of a context you know yeah 
Yeah, I don't know. And they just see it as this kid comes in and goes, come on, through the power of positivity and will, you can you can get your way out of here, even though they can't bend and they've been conditioned to fear for their lives. Like, Haru's dad, uh, Katara, finds him and is able to talk to him. And he has just the most amazing voice, by the way. I just love his voice acting on this. So deep and rich. And he says, she goes, so what's the plan? How are we getting out of here? And he goes, the plan is to survive. I think that's such a powerful line. Yeah, it, it really puts in perspective exactly where they're at at this point, right? They're, they're not really in the mood to, to hear Katara's speech. They're not really in the mood to try and, you know, break out. They're kind of just, they're just getting by. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And they'd presumably been there for a bit, too. Yeah, we, we we're not really sure exactly how long, but at least at least a decent while. Um, and, you know, they're, they're just kind of broken. And, you know, I, I can't really blame them for not really listening to Katara's, come on, guys, let's get up and do this right away. Like, I, I feel like, especially, you know, she just got here. She hasn't had to live through the same pain that they've been through right that she doesn't really get what's going on yeah she did not read the room that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) and and you can't blame her she's trying she's just trying to be a hero she is young we we do have to give her credit on that one too but it's it's not immediately great but they come up with um with this plant well uh Sokka and Aang join the party um and they come up with this plan to get all of the coal through the air vents so that they can earthbend the coal. And th- this is another one of those things where the, the resourcefulness is really clever too, right? Like, yeah, they've made sure that they got rid of all of the actual stones, but they need coal for the ship to run, and that's something that they can earthbend. I, I just think, like, the, the sort of ways that they play with the materials are really fun. Yeah, they're just so clever. They're such great problem solvers, especially Katara. And Aang doesn't always apply himself mentally, but he's always ready in a pinch. He has great critical thinking skills when it comes down to the wire. It's just when he doesn't have to, he chooses not to. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> like, even when they're formulating the plan to fake earthbending, Katara's like, Aang, do you know your line? Do you know when you come in? And he goes, yeah, you're taking all the fun out of this. And in a rare <laughs> moment when Sokka is right and Aang is wrong, Sokka goes, we're taking the fun out of getting kidnapped by the Fire Nation. <laughs> like, you know, it's a great moment. I, and I think that's one of those, Aang is just so so him you know like he so tries to make everything lighthearted. he tries to make everything into this exciting fun adventure and he really doesn't he doesn't quite feel the weight of it i think in the same way that katara does yeah and in later seasons we will see without spoiling we will see that become a major issue of the show of sort of how can you have the burden of the world on your shoulders and still be like a light-hearted person at the same time yeah it well, we'll definitely have this sort of recurring discussion. Um, but they get they get the coal in, and, and I, again, Katara kind of goes through, and she has another one of those motivational speeches, and no one moves. They just kind of stare at her, like, what what do you think we're going to do? So it's, it, it's just really telling, right? Like, they finally actually have some sort of resource in front of them, and you might think that immediately they'd be like, oh my god, we finally have something to bend, 
but they're not. They're they're too broken to even care, right? Like they don't even they just don't even move. Um and the um the warden says their spirits were broken a long time ago. So it's like what 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 did you expect? Like congratulations for wasting your time, stuff like this. Yeah, um, he's really cruel. Yeah, really digging into him and uh and then it's Haru who finally actually steps forward, right? Um and I think he just kind of gets gets a few things together and then his dad I think joins in after. Is that is that inaccurate? Yes. Well first they Aang and Sokka are able to get away. I don't know if we really parsed out this part of the plan, where Aang and Sokka fly away on Appa, which I raised an eyebrow at a little bit. Like if this is some maximum security, like how are they able to just fly away? I guess Appa how are you gonna stop him, <laughs> you know? Right. But the they report to the warden that oh they so the, some people escaped uh, they they were on a flying bison it's like really it's like yeah a buffalo and he goes well which is it a buffalo or a bison it's just <laughs> such a Monty Python or like an airplane type joke <laughs> totally in the middle of like nowhere I thought that was hysterical yeah again it's it's the little bits of humor that help us through mm-hmm. And yeah, then he just hurls the captain over the bridge. And I don't think he dies or anything, but it's still a very uh, scary moment. Yeah, I mean, you can never really be sure on the exact death count within this show, to be honest with you. There's definitely some... How many are on screen is hard to tell, but still, getting thrown overboard, not a fun time. Certainly a lower death toll than Rugrats in Paris. Oh my god, that was... (laughs) Horrifying. The robot fight. Babies just murdered people left and right. <laughs> Crushing buildings. Honestly, I I can't recover, guys, from that. <laughs> Terrifying. Like, just people died. People died. Yeah, we like, watched that, like, literally two years ago, and I'm still reeling from it. It like, was the first movie we ever watched. Like, in this one, there's some ambiguity. No. No, people died <laughs> in Rugrats in Paris. Lots of them. <laughs> Yeah, um, usually they'll do some, like, in Batman type stuff, they'll, like, evacuate the city, and then they can destroy everything. No, there was just people. People's <laughs> lives never forget. But anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so, so we get the, the... First Haru and his dad jump in, and they start, and then everyone else sort of follows suit. Sort of, like, power in numbers kind of a moment. And it's, it's really great to see them... Um, you know, they're working together. It's the first time they felt any kind of powerful in a really long time. Yeah. Oh, Cam, meme idea. It's been a while. If I thought of this when uh, Haru and his dad joined the battle. Uh, well, that's a joke. <laughs> but when they dive in, I would love to see a Super Smash Bros. meme with the two of them throwing coal. And it says Haru and his dad have joined the battle. I don't know. <laughs> Play around with it if you want. <laughs> you know, if you feel like dumping back into the memes, you know, I, I know I know that's been been your thing for a while, Cam. I'm sorry we abuse you yeah. for it, but you know. Yeah, and a video of it would be amazing, but that oh, might man. be I might be pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> but it it really is this you, you get this sort of thrill, right? Like of everyone's everyone's finally fighting back. Um they all kind of work together. They kind of realize that they have more power than they thought. And we we get, again, just a really cool battle. It's, it's kind of a fun thing, too, because there's 
coal versus fire, right? Like it's a it's an interesting subset of the materials here, which again, I just love the fight scenes in this show because they're they're so creative. Right? Like the, they really are. And there's storytelling in them. It's not just a now we mark time for 5 minutes. Right. No, there's there's storytelling. There's also you can sort of sense the creativity of the individual benders too, right? Like you can tell that right. this is a learned skill that they've spent a lot of time really determining all the ins and outs and that there's sort of new things that you can tell like maybe these people haven't ever bended coal before, but they're they're working with it, right? They they're coming up with ways to make that happen and it's it's cool to see. Yeah, and Aang kind of cleverly creates this sort of wind tunnel that they can then throw the coal into, and then it then yeah. knocks out the fire guards. That was great. I love, we, I love it. And, like, there's something so beautiful in the choreography of watching earthbenders bend together. The, the way they sort of do that push and pull. Same with waterbenders, but they don't need to team up quite as much. Earthbenders, when you watch them work together, especially in The Legend of Korra, and in the earthbending avatar show that I really, really, really want. Instead of this live action thing, which I'm excited about, I wish they would just either go back to Kiyoshi or go forward past Korra. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? But they're, watching earthbenders in unison, I think, is stunningly beautiful. Yeah, and it really is the, the one kind of bending that is just blatantly stronger with more people, right? Like, they really have a way to... To work together, water bending sometime, air bending. Obviously, we we don't really have a whole lot to play on there with just Aang and uh, fire bending is pretty, pretty much entirely a single person's game, right? Like they might have multiple fighters, but they're not really working together to make one giant fire or anything like that. Um, right, and they just it it seems counterintuitive to like at least the evil firebenders to actually work together like that. They're yeah, all so self-absorbed. But yeah, earth earthbending brings them together, and, and I think it's it works well in this moment too, right? That they're all kind of they need this community, they need this whole group in order for them to be able to do what they do. Um, yeah, yeah, they all have to because Katara can't do it on her own. None of them can. Right. And Haru and his dad are just the breaking point. They couldn't have done it just the two of them. They were counting on everyone else joining in, and luckily they do. And we have this great moment where they finally pin down the. Uh, the warden and he says please i can't swim they're like dangling over the bridge and haru's dad says don't worry i hear cowards float <laughs> which might line. be line of the season for me so far that's just awesome it's incredible it really is um plus his voice is oh. just it's so good it's so fitting for his character and yeah it's what a way what a way for him to go down yeah, his name is Kevin Michael Richardson, and he hasn't done anything huge standout. He was the Joker in the animated Batman series. He won some Emmys for that, but uh, if you go on his Wikipedia, it's amazing. If you go to the animation section, it's like a hundred shows. <laughs> He's been on so many shows. Oh, and he was on Rugrats in Paris. He was the sumo singer. <laughs> Oh my god, no way. <laughs> Here comes Chucky e. Chan. <laughs> we should try to get him on the show and ask him which he thinks was more traumatizing. Thinking about all the deaths of Avatar or all the deaths of Rugrats in Paris, you know? That's, that's what I want to know. <laughs> he was also the 
uh, seagull in the second Spongebob movie. Do you remember the seagull that talks? Oh, yeah. Wild. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of small roles. He usually plays villains, it seems like. But, yeah, Kevin Michael Richardson, just an awesome voice actor. He really is. And, you know, it's it's great to see these people become empowered again. And, you know, they're they're reinvigorated. They're ready to rebel against the Fire Nation. They're ready to, you know, actually go back and do this and this is sort of the beginning we see of um a movement of people actually fighting back against the fire nation we have a lot of oh well we know that you know the avatar needs to save the world somehow but we don't really have all these individuals all of these towns speaking up and going up against the fire nation so much until until now we just kind of see them being terrified so it's good to see some power back in their in their hands as well yeah, it's a satisfying emotional journey, and I like that they don't just teleport to wherever they need to go next. Like, they show us how big this world is, where, like, they really ha- stumble upon this earthbending village. This is not like the Southern Air Temple, where Aang says, guys, we have to go see this. They finished hanging out with Boomy, and then they presumably keep heading towards the Northern Water Tribe, and they're not going to make that trip in a single day, so they have to land, and they have to get food, and that's where they see Haru. And it's so serendipitous, and I think that's lovely that it's not all linear. We go here next, and then we go here. It's, wait a minute, who's this guy on our rest stop? Yeah, it's... And, and and it builds out the the show for a while really well of us sort of getting them just sort of dropping into these places, but it does feel like a journey, and we do feel sort of growth amongst the characters. Um, it's great world building too, because we've yes. now seen two very different earth bending earth villages. We have uh, Omashu, which is this kind of grand large city and then we have this tiny village and they're both earth kingdoms so now we have a way more nuanced view of earth kingdom culture yeah i mean especially at the beginning like you don't really know if there's just sort of four villages right there's the fire village and the water village like it's true yeah i mean we we eventually hear that there's you know the northern southern but we we don't necessarily realize that there's you know an entire community an entire subset of all sorts of people all across here right it is it is a world and the um, earth kingdom is enormous at least comparatively to the rest of the globe it's like all of north and south america basically like it's giant yeah and this does give us a, a good sense of it and i i do like that we always sort of we either end on a nice peaceful ride on appa <laughs> or in this case um again we do see them sort of you know continuing forward we recognize that they've completed what they've needed to get done here um but then katara realizes that her mother's necklace isn't actually on her neck anymore that she must have dropped it and we get just this it's so well done such a perfect Mm -hmm. closing shot of zuko just finding that necklace and just again just slightly behind where they are it's a common common theme and you can feel his anger and frustration growing he doesn't and say he's a like word. Looking it's out just over a cliff. Ugh, it's so good. And it's great because even I forgot about Zuko this episode. I didn't think about him once. I wasn't like, "Where's Zuko in all of this?" Because the story was so interesting. They don't give you time to think about him. Yeah, and then but you're they... reminded at the end. Oh Ugh. yeah, he's still on their tail. He's coming. And, and they really do make you feel that closeness, and and really feel that you know they're 
they're being tracked. And and to be fair, they're kind of letting that happen, right? They're, they're really getting themselves in a lot of people's business. But I do think that we kind of get this growing sense of, like, the more you guys do this, the more that you get involved in these towns, the more you're going to be trackable, you know? True, yeah. They certainly made a... They're going to be the talk of that village for centuries. They they are not being subtle. They can't help themselves. They want to help people, and they're... Uh, they're an interesting group. It's literally the Avatar. Yeah, it's, man, it is, it's a lot, it's a lot to, to deal with. I do like, too, that this is, the, the, um, even though he does some airbending and everything, that the theme of the show, or theme of this episode, is not another, oh my god, it's the Avatar sort of a deal, right? They just kind of accept that pretty quickly. Yeah, that's really not the thing of this episode, which I appreciate, because we've seen that a few times yes. now, all the Avatar <laughs> worship, and I don't know if it's ever explicitly even said. I mean, maybe Katara says it when she's trying to motivate them. Yeah, but... I just mean, like, they, they see him airbending, presumably yeah. they can put two and two together, right. but that's not the that's not the important moment right yeah. then, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's really not. And it's nice, because Aang takes a bit of a backseat. He's a, a helper in Katara's plan. Yes, which is which is nice to see. I'm glad that they they give her her time and chances to shine because she's an amazing character and she deserves it. Yeah, um, yeah, and all these characters did so well in Nick Madness with good reason. It's some of the best character writing of any show ever. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else specific that you want to add on? I don't think so. Why don't we head to your segment? That sounds good to me. All right, guys. So my segment um, is about the voice actor of the warden, which is George Takai. Um, he is most well known for his role on um, Star Trek. He was Hikaru Sulu, is that how you pronounce it? Um, the helmsman of the USS Enterprise. But what I thought was really interesting about him is that he actually, um, during World War II, was in an internment camp, a Japanese internment camp in the United States. And I think that, you know, given the context of this episode, there's obviously a lot of sort of personal emotional ties, I think. Um, I know we talked about the similarities to uh, Germany, but obviously there's, there's similar cases in any situation where you're held as a prisoner just for being who you are. And I think um, it's kind of powerful for him to, in a way, be the warden in this case, rather than just another uh, person captured. But I was thinking, especially um, watching this episode, knowing that context, when he says things like their spirits were broken a long time ago, um, that's probably how he felt, right? Um, but in addition, he um, has won several awards for um, his work on human rights with Japan-United States uh, relations. He also... Um, had a Broadway show regarding his experiences in the internment camps called Allegiance, which he starred in. And I just thought it was a really interesting story and sort of grants some more um, personal takes into this episode. And I, I don't know exactly, um, you know, how much he might have had insight into how things were and how that played into this episode, but I still thought it was just kind of a, a cool, interesting tidbit about this episode here. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And 
uh, yeah, such an interesting casting choice that they, it is empowering in some way, but I wonder how they approached him about that. Like, hello, will you play a warden in an internment camp? You know? Yeah, and I couldn't find anything about, you know, the specific casting and how that discussion went. I was hoping that there would be something, you know, somewhere about that. But, I mean, obviously it it's something that's close to him, and I'm sure that he, yeah. you know felt for the situation definitely an interesting choice like i said maybe it's somebody somebody knew him personally and thought that the, uh, he would sort of have good connections there but what an, an emotional sort of feeling and i'm sure watching that episode too like i said i'm sure he could feel connections to that in ways that you know are hard to portray always in a children's cartoon show which is you know a, a downgrade on what avatar is for those who may not know, too, the Japanese internment happened in the United States under uh, FDR. And so Japanese people were rounded up out of this fear during World War II that they were somehow conspiring against the quote-unquote real Americans. So it is an unsettling thing to remember that it happened here. And Avatar doesn't go there necessarily, but they are certainly are making a statement by casting him in this role. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think... It's one of those things that is not talked about as much when we um, are taught about World War II. We don't really, we kind of glaze over um, this whole U.S. run internment camps that we had. And um, yeah, it's pretty horrifying to imagine, right, that just being there again for for nothing that you've really done wrong. In the same way that the earthbenders are just, they Mm -hmm. just were born earthbenders and they're forced to be here. I mean, he just was Japanese. Um, so yeah. Yeah, the, and I, lo- I really appreciate that the show doesn't shy away from tougher conversations like that, because I remember this being a kind of hard one to watch when I was a kid. It, it really kind of depressed me in some ways, and I I, I think it's good that it, it put that into the conversation, and not that it's doing anything new, particularly with this topic, but that that's a part of the world, that the, these firebenders are trying to take over the world and there's a they could have gone the cartoonish route like you were saying of just oh they're evil and watch out for those (laughs) fire nation people they're bad but instead we really see just how controlling and domineering they are of every society they encounter absolutely and and i think both you know this casting choice and like we said just sort of the um connections that we can see across other historical controlling situations i think it's really it does make it more powerful and it does make it feel more real you know like there's no part of me that's like oh that wouldn't happen during this you Mm -hmm. you can feel the sense of their fear and the control and everything everything with that so it's um yeah i beautiful episode um again it's it's a little weird always to go from angry beavers to something as serious (laughs) as this but I'm glad I'm glad we had the uh, the time to dig into it and always looking forward to to watching more of this show. It is just so good. We're only six episodes in and it's incredible already. It sure is. Yeah. And next week we'll get there in the um, in the conclusion, but we won't. Our episode isn't quite so funny next week in our in between. So uh, we'll get there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, anything else you need to add on 
On to that, um. That's all I've got. Thanks for that find. That's all really cool. Yeah, a little shout out there to George Takai for taking some time to be a part of this episode and, you know, helping in some way sort of get his story told a little bit more. So, Mm -hmm. good stuff. All right, I guess let's move on forward to our conclusion, shall we? Let's do it. All right, our Twitter poll for this week is a little bit lighter just to, you know, keep things keep things a little happier here, guys. Um, whose ears are more ridiculous, Momo's or Sokka's? Because we did hear, you know, all of uh, Katara's harsh words against them. So uh, I'm interested to see where you guys land on this. Yeah, there is a brief bit where Sokka, at the end of their little fake fight, turns to Momo and he says, your ears are ridiculous too, Momo, or something like that. <laughs> so we thought we'd let the people decide. <laughs> um, and yeah, next week we'll be looking at the Hey Arnold episode, Longest Monday. We don't usually tell you what episode we're doing, but uh, just because we've been talking about doing this one for a while, it's the Wolfgang Wolfgang episode with the fourth and fifth graders fighting each other the fourth graders avoiding being thrown into dumpsters so it'll be one of the more real hey arnold episodes too in terms of bullying and just class dynamics in general yeah i remember being terrified of this concept you know i didn't because i i was younger than fourth grade when i watched it and i didn't know if bullying really reached these levels and and we'll talk it all out when we watch it but it's it's a good one, guys. Um, looking forward to it. A little more serious, but it's a good one. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. You can find us on all of those. Happy to hear you guys on any of them. Totally. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.